Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. Welcome back. Peak Speak is back on. Like what, two episodes in two weeks? That's got to right. be some kind of podcasting consistency record just oh. worldwide, surely. Killing it. Yeah, well, that's just how we roll. Killing it. But also, if you're concerned about not having frequent episodes and you haven't listened to our entire back catalogue from the start, please feel free to shut your mouth and go and listen to it. Because there's lots of really terrible episodes early on that'll make you realise how far we've come as people. So, you know, maybe start there. It's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy how how well it still does. And how, how many people tell me that they've found it recently and they've gone back and are listening through yep. everything, like all the old episodes. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I like I continually forget because increasingly this is just like you and me hanging out for an hour once a month <laughs> or whatever, and it's great, and I have a great time, and I have always loved that aspect of it, but I still consistently forget that people listen to it. Like I just – we have this conversation. It exits my brain completely, and then people bring it back up again, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. We did speak about that in a way that people can go back and listen to until the end of time yeah. or until we stop paying our hosting fees. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, we're, we're almost at 200 episodes. This will be 192, uh, and we're just shy of 250,000 downloads. So it's done all right. Yeah, I'm not mad about that, given that we recorded, what was it, four or five episodes and then sat on them for like 12 months and <laughs> yeah. did nothing with them. Exactly. Yeah, that was a, a classic Thomas and John com combined powers. Well, cool. it would still be like that if it weren't for Sam. Yeah, shout out Sam, the media guy, for, you know, actually having skills beyond being able to talk about powerlifting. Exactly. It's it's hard. I feel weird introducing the podcast without saying any, like, scripted uh, man's hey, man, things. Maybe and we start making our own sponsors. I uh, definitely am getting bike pieces invoiced to the gym in a way of sponsoring myself as an athlete. So, you yeah, know, I'm about that. What are you drinking? Looks like oats. Protein shake. Looks chunky. Look, you say oats, but they're actually actually Kingston biscuits crushed up into a protein shake because they taste better. I was going to say, is, much better than oats. It is oat milk, so technically you were right. But Why oat milk? I've discovered uh, not that long ago that going from like a couple of cow's milk coffees a day to a couple of cow's milk coffees and 500 mils of milk in a shake... <laughs> <laughs> really fucked me up. Okay. Um, and so now I've just switched to oat milk because it just, in general, doesn't fuck me up in quite the same way. Mm. I go for this, like, high-protein almond milk. It is disgusting. Yeah, if I you hate have the it, taste of almond milk. If you have it with anything but a protein shake. In a protein yeah. shake, makes it a little yeah, bit creamier, yeah, yeah. goes all right. But if you have it, like, in coffee or on cereal, it's fucking gross. Yeah, that's what I like about uh, the oat milk in coffee. Like, it's actually quite tasty in yeah. some in in most cases and i buy like the barista oat milk which is like slightly thicker than regular oat milk so it steams a bit better as well um 
But yeah, it's been a good enough switch. It, it does the job, and I don't feel like I'm going to shit myself eight seconds after ingesting it, which is nice. Amazing. How's everything done there? How's things coming into the Christmas period? Silly yeah, good, season? man. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's been a fucking long year, <laughs> um, and it just feels like I'm ready for a holiday. Uh, but we've got one more comp to come. That's like, what, two weeks away? Yeah, two, uh, week and a half away. Uh, we've still got like 65 people on the list for that, which is sick. What's that um, one? Uh, just another novice comp for the, our yeah. end of year novice comp. We always do like the first Sunday of December. Um, and then uh, we've got our end of year Christmas testing party beer drinking fest uh, the following week. And that's kind of the point at which I consider my year to be done. Uh, which, yeah, like I said, I'm excited for. Uh, but otherwise, life's ticking away pretty nicely. Do you take no time points. off at Christmas? Yeah, last year was the first year I properly took time off, like actual time off. I, I say I'm taking time off and then just end up not having done enough work to actually take time off, and so mm. I end up just having to work in and around it. Uh, last year was the first time. Who would have thought maybe being diagnosed with ADHD coincides with actually being organized enough to do the work that's required of me in a way that meant I could take a holiday. Uh, so, yeah, I'll probably have about two weeks or so because we'll go to Melbourne for a week for Christmas and then um, a week or so hanging out at home and yeah, sweet. dealing with shit, uh, which will be good. I, it generally only takes me about three days before I start thinking about work again, though, so... Uh, it's mostly the physical space more than the mental space, but I feel like there's a lot of business owners that can empathize with that. Mm. How about you, man? How's life up north with the gym empire, the international gym empire that is Zero Weakness? Yeah, ticking along, man. We um, we've finally got uh, we've finally got what we need to make Wales move ahead. So yeah, I saw some shots on Jordan's Instagram. It looks fucking sick, man. Yeah, it's coming along. So we're, we're going to do a bit of a soft launch next week for all the zero people that are already over there. So they'll be able to go and start training. Um, and then the official opening date, which we haven't announced yet, uh, will be shortly after that. Yeah. Sick. Um, which is great. Cause it's been a 12 month long, endless money pit between how yeah. much it's actually cost plus the exchange rate. So, to get some money coming back in will be very, very, very nice. Yeah, um, excellent. Otherwise, much like you, we have a comp probably the same weekend, like the first first weekend of December yeah. uh, with like 140, 150 lifters over two days and it's going to be hot. So that'll be a nice nice couple of days. And that kind of signifies the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. The rest is um, pretty chill. You, you guys sold out APL States, didn't you? No, we sold, we sold the majority of spots like in the first day. Yeah, uh, but there's still some straggler spots yeah, left okay, behind. Cool. I was actually really worried. I, d I didn't think it would sell very well because this Christmas Cup was so so huge, oh, and I yeah, thought yeah. a lot of our regulars would then wouldn't, qualify and then yeah, not these two states. Yeah, yeah. So, so we we actually had the opposite problem, right? We're we're opening a um a last chance qualifier that it that will literally be the last chance because it's the day before the nationals cut off. Yeah. Uh, because states sold out and we already had like 10 or 15 people on the wait list ready to go. So that makes good. it a lot easier. Yeah, I, I, I'm stoked for it. It's cool to be in a position where we've got enough demand for the sanctioned end of the sport in Canberra again to run more than one pre-nationals comp, which would be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you have any involvement with ACT Strongest the other week? I was there, um, mostly because it was at the Queen Show and I need very little excuse in my life to go and eat the greatest performance food in the world that is Dagwood Dogs. Um, and so I did that. <laughs> 
but yeah, like we're sort of loosely involved in the CSI guys have all their equipment and, and kind of train out of our gym. Um, yep. So I turned up and I had uh, one of our guys was competing in the under 80s, I think he was. Uh, and then the partner of one of the uh, women I coach was also, he's ended up winning the under 90s, um, which was cool. So yeah, it was a fun comp. It was fucking hot though, man. There's yeah. comps, out, outdoor comps uh, at a showground with very little, like an agricultural showground with very little shade were just brutal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a cool comp, man. Strongman in an environment like that where you get lots of people who don't know what's going on watching is is always really cool and i think that's one of those things that powerlifting doesn't have mm. you just don't get people randomly turning up to powerlifting comps right like yeah. i still the closest we get these days is people turning up to eat barbecue from stefan and they look in a bit through the window while they stand in the line yeah. right whereas like at something like that we got they got lots of people turning up to to watch because they'd walk past and we're like wow this is really cool and I think it's it's always nice as someone who's been so deep in this end of it for a decade and a half now um, to see the like awestruck look on some of these people watching people lift weights that I consider to be like yeah they're like that's strong but you know it's like not crazy and then you're like oh yeah that's right I have such a really fucking skewed understanding of what like yeah. strong is like we just we all exist in this world that our definition of heavy is so far removed from the average person yeah. I, like I'm still consistently amazed at it yeah. it happens occasionally I've had it a few times like going to buy something on marketplace and having someone be like oh it's really heavy yeah it's like oh yeah okay cool like I, I remember there's this ceramic pot like elephant yeah, stand yeah. and this woman brought it out on a trolley and i yeah. was like okay and i just like pushed it with one hand to like get my hand Think. underneath and i was like oh it weighs like fucking 15 kilos like <laughs> I picked up and basically threw it in the back of my car and she was like oh i was like yeah i like i lift weights for fun this, yeah. is, this is like you know the average plate weighs a bit more than this you know yeah. it's um yeah i, it's I get a the funny opposite. reminder I, I get quite offended when something's heavy like when I have to move <laughs> yeah, something and I'm yeah. like, I should be able to move this. You know, you, yeah, yeah. you start getting this ego of like, I deadlift 300 kilos. Why can't I pick up? The, why can't I shift this barbecue? Why is it so heavy? Yeah. Get unreasonably annoyed at how heavy things are. Yeah. N nothing really highlights how unathletic you are as a power lifter. Quite like trying to apply that strength to anything that isn't a perfectly <laughs> symmetrical barbell moving straight up and down in a relatively yeah. short line. It um you very quickly realize that, yeah, you're not as athletic as you think. <laughs> I'm making the um I'm making an an a spotters spotters and loaders guide for apl because i'm sick yeah, of the sick. like inconsistency of, yeah, of yeah. spotting and loading and it's one thing that i have to keep saying over and over is like reminding people because people get complacent when there's like yep. 80 kilos on the bike yep someone I'm drops sure. 80 kilos on uh do, Man, just test it yeah, get someone to drop 80 kilos accelerating from at shoulder height onto your foot second <laughs> yeah it's crazy you're fucked yeah uh Anyway. Yeah, we, we live in such a sheltered world in that context. Like, yeah. yeah. The number that, of times I've like gone to move something and had someone be like, oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, we have very different understandings of what capability is. <laughs> yeah. It, it's almost like it's it's actually kind of sad. Like I've told stories of Semler and Cooper before when they're you know benching 250 as a warm-up, and you look over and you're like, oh, it's only 250. 
They're like, you're not, not interested <laughs> yeah. yet. Yeah, like yeah. anyone else putting 250 on the bar for a bench, you're like, holy shit. Yeah, but man. when it's them, you're just like, oh, no, they yeah. don't. They don't like need 70%, whatever. Yeah. I, um, the way I tell new people about it, I, like I literally, I told, uh, I've got a new person signed up yesterday, like 75 kilo woman squatting like 110 for triples and looking really strong with very little coaching. So I'm excited to see how she develops. But separate to that, I said, oh, like, yeah, and people often like look at the records board on the wall because we've got yeah. like a very big prominent records board. People look at it like, wow. I'm like, yeah, it's really important when you get into powerlifting that you maintain a core group of civilian friends <laughs> because you, I'm yet to meet a powerlifter who got into powerlifting and was like, I am amazing. Yeah. And everyone gets into the sport and they're like, wow, <laughs> I'm actually quite weak. <laughs> And you're basically like very quickly, if you're at all self-aware, you'll realize you're going to be weak forever and you're never going to be a world-class powerlifter and you suck and there's lots of people stronger than you. But if you have that core group of civilian friends, every now and again, you're like, you know what? Yesterday I benched 100 kilos. And they're like, oh my God, 100 kilos. What? And you get that beautiful balance of the soul-crushing ego death that is realizing <laughs> you are at best <laughs> below middle of the pack <laughs> versus the average person who barely can pick up an empty sandbag. And yeah. they're like, oh my God, you're amazing. So you just, you know, keeps you even, I guess. I it's, it's what I signed up for coaching all these freaks. Is that I, I can never, ever be impressed by my own lifting ever again. I can never be happy with it. I either, yeah. you know, I squatted 400 earlier this year and then I've got six lifters that do it raw. Yeah, that's only because it wasn't 410 though. <laughs> um, but, you know. I'll get there. Yeah. One, just a small fry at the moment. One day. Um, All right, yeah, we should that's... probably talk about something we're meant to be talking about. I don't know. We managed to turn that into 13 minutes of waffle that would have normally been waffle around ads. So I feel like, you know, the people got their value out of it. That's productive. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't complete bullshit. No. Um, and hopefully this next bit won't be either. No. So you've been thinking about technique. Technique. Yeah. I've had a conversation a handful of times with a few different people over the last probably couple of months, I guess, where I've had people that I would consider to be like intermediate to intermediate advanced level lifters. Like you have been lifting for a couple of years, pretty solid in their technical skills, reasonably strong, who are really kind of holding themselves back a little bit with a paralysis by analysis approach to technique and technical skill development. Uh, partly it's the idea of like the perfect rep, which I maintain is a, is a construct, not necessarily an outcome. Uh, and that we're pursuing the construct rather than trying to get a perfect rep because it, it, it very rarely is perfect for long. And I've had these people, like had discussions with these people around like, oh, I feel like my technique wasn't great here. And it's like, actually, no, that was a really solid squat. You're just trying to nitpick every little piece of it. And it's often the people who film all of their sets which i'm all for and i'm i'm a huge proponent of uh filming stuff but they're often the ones that are filming every set like basically from their warm-ups they watch every set immediately after the conclusion of the set and then they're trying to focus on something for the next set right they're picking something up they saw on the video and trying to improve it on the next set and the way i've described this to people in an analogy is 
imagining you were you've got a car with a dash cam in it and then every night you go home and you watch your commute on dash cam and you pick up like the apex of the corner that you missed or that turn signal you didn't pay attention to and then what you're trying to do every time you commute to and from work is pick up on those mistakes and correct them and suddenly mm. not only does your drive become a far more stressful experience because you're like in it and hyper analyzing everything that's going on you're also probably going to be worse at driving because you're so fixated on the potential errors that you're not allowing yourself the opportunity to just do the skill which is kind of i I at least think the gold standard of technique performance is you don't have to think at all you just squat and your squat's really good right Mm. that subconscious competence that we want to develop in an athlete and everyone can do it driving because almost everyone i've met has driven home from work at some point and pulled up in their driveway and been like holy shit how did i get here what happened (laughs) yeah exactly but we're so caught up in this idea of I have to be perfect and I have to think about everything I'm doing in the technique side of things that I think a lot of people are holding themselves back from just doing rather mm. than thinking and doing at the same time. Mm. And I, I completely respect that. Like uh, I, everyone knows I'm a bit of a technical zealot. I like yeah, technique. Yeah, I like the concept of technique. And, and uh, so am I. Like that's. I don't think we disagree in many no, 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 no. pieces at all. Like I think we have slightly different definitions based exclusively on the the uh, people we work with, rather than it being about fundamental differences in an understanding. Sure. I'm all for it. It's just I've now seen the other end of it. I feel mm. like sometimes like anything right you go too far down one end of the spectrum i don't care about technique or i care only about technique there's got to be a middle ground somewhere yeah for sure for sure that where where people go wrong and especially coaches with this where people go wrong is and when i frame it like this it'll make it stand out for anyone listening when people go wrong is thinking they can think their way out of it just magically if it was as simple as you're doing your top sets and you didn't perform it as pretty as you like thinking that you can just think i'm going to do this better and it's going to change if it worked like that no one would have an issue with technique at all no yeah, no one would ever be thinking that jobs. was that, no one would ever be thinking that was bad technique and so the way that i like to paint it to my lifters is yeah you know, i've said this line a million times it never hurts to hear it again which is like every single rep that you do in, in training is an opportunity to practice to improve to get better yeah. and so the question i get asked a lot because i obviously preach this idea of gold standard and perfect technique and all of that sort of stuff is well how are you going to balance that with performance understanding that at some point technique is going to break down it's like fuck yeah absolutely at some point performance has to be the priority and i don't yeah. mean at some point in time in your training cycle or block this is session to session yeah yeah and so like what what my expectation for a lifter would be is take the idea to of perfection as far as you can before it becomes the rate limit the rate limiter should be the output yeah if you want to get strong you have to push yeah and that doesn't mean you sacrifice for the sake of um that doesn't mean you absolutely sacrifice everything for the sake of that but there's no reason why you can't be working really hard on technique in the entire training spectrum, not just in that one lift, one set, mm. whatever, and be pushing for performance at the same time. Yeah. And I, I get this all the time because especially if I get a lifter, a perfect case study, right? Started this week and I don't take on new lifters often, but this is a high level lifter. I've taken on board. We did a technique session and completely 
like completely flipped everything. For a high-level lifter, that's quite scary. That's huge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> takes like a heap of trust in you absolutely. as a coach. Like that's a really a big leap to make for someone who is very experienced, especially if they've come from another coach who, you know, maybe they had a bad experience or whatever the case may be, but that leap from I've come from someone's system and now this person in front of me is telling them, telling me that actually everything I know to be true is probably not true and I need mm. to rethink it all. Like it's super confronting. For sure. And I, I, the, I, I know this and I frame it to them at the start of the session. I'm like, don't sign up with me now. Let's do the session first so you yeah. can see what I'm going to say. If you're happy with what I'm saying, you can make that decision for yourself. Yeah. I'm not going to push you into it. Because my goal for any lifter, whether they're with me or not, is the same as their goal to be as strong as they can possibly be. Mm -hmm. And if they have any doubt that working with me is not going to get them as strong as they can possibly be, don't do it. Because yep. if you if you make that call with doubt in your mind, you're going to be doubting the whole time. And you're, yeah, you're not bought into it. Exactly. And you, you're going to, without sounding like too much of a wanker, you're going to manifest that. You're going to make yep. it happen. Uh, anyway, um, they raise this important question, which is like, well, I've got a competition in like fucking 12 weeks. We're going to reinvent my technique. No, 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 no. We're going to start to build this in the background while we prioritize pushing for performance. And yeah. when you're pushing for performance, we just put those blinders on. Yeah. Because the, the, this is where coaches go wrong, as I was saying before. Where coaches go wrong is they somehow align this idea of perfect technique with injury risk and prevention, which is ridiculous. Yeah, I, I never frame it like that. I'm all about it being pure performance. Exactly. I want to put you in the best position to lift the heaviest. Maybe it's the safest, but like sitting on the couch not doing anything is not very safe either. So, you know. The, the only time that's going to be relevant is when there's an injury present or a previous injury yep. to consider. Yep. Uh, and if that's not the case, then the, the logic should be they're lifting in this way now and they're perfectly fine. Therefore, if they keep lifting like that, they're going to be perfectly fine unless there's like any obvious signs that they're not. And so like, yeah, sure, if they're backspending a little bit, if they're losing their knees, if they're breaking down, they're losing their shoulders on bench, whatever, then it's just gonna explode. Like that's how they've gotten to this point. Yeah, and yeah. so we can start- They're not this fragile snowflake that comes out of nowhere and just, ah, shit. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So Especially if they're really strong. Like that's the other, I've, I've seen a few coaches do that with very strong lifters. Like, oh, you're gonna hurt yourself, man. If that person got to that strength level looking like that, they're probably not just going to spontaneously hurt themselves to no. add an extra 10 kilos. You're just trying to treat them like they're this, you know, fucking super uh, special or very fragile being where, yeah, actually you're pretty robust when you've trained that hard to get like that. Yeah, and as soon as you switch that lens to, like you said, being performance-focused, you can really actually rapidly change the way that someone moves while maximizing yeah. their strength at the same time. And I'm so yeah. confident in this because I do it all the time. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I, I often talk about, and like, again, I did it yesterday with someone who, same scenario, very strong. This person hadn't had a, hasn't had a lot of formal coaching, but has gotten very strong. Mm. Uh, and with a few, you know, minor, relatively minor changes to setup and process in the squad, they did a set and were like, oh, Actually, it felt weird, but it felt really nice and easy. I was like, yeah, it's going to feel a bit weird because you've got reasonably strong in a position that doesn't quite look like this. And it's going to feel weird because it's not what you're used to. Mm. But the second you start using words like that felt easier or smoother or like crisper or light or anything like that, they're the adjectives I like leaning on because they're the ones like, yeah, that feeling's what you want. Like that, it should feel like that. 
that's the feeling you're trying to chase and for some of the stronger people sometimes it's a bit hard to reconcile that feeling of it's a bit odd because i'm not used to doing it like this yeah and maybe feels like subjectively harder because i have to consciously think while i'm doing it but objectively it moves better and feels crisper and and snappier and all of those sort of things that i associate with like good fluid human movement they're the ones i want to push towards because they're the ones that you can like they can feel straight away right it, mm. it's that change in like oh yeah there it was then can you chase that and how do we develop that yeah it's, it's crazy how much power you you then wield as a coach in terms of how the lifter feels and responds uh, yeah. based on how things feel um, and one thing i find really fascinating is the ability to when we're in phases of training that we can hyper focus on technique getting people to hyper focus on technique and then rapidly shifting that and so like we're working moving into a strength block and someone's like i got the set done but it's not it doesn't look as good as i'd like to i'll start changing my language and being like oh that's weird i don't remember that you get, get points for looking better at a comp no you get you get points for lifting the most weight yeah, like we yeah. can really start to lean into this idea of at some point performance has to be the number one priority yeah. Techni technical work can sit in the back burner, can sit in the yeah. background. That doesn't mean you throw it out completely, no. uh, but it's about what do you prioritize at any stage in time. And again, if I'm to come back to what's the mistake that people make around this idea of technique, they get really, really fixated on what's going on at a singular point in time. They can't zoom out and see how training works over a year-long or a multi-year-long yeah. process and how we ebb and flow between certain aspects and quality. Yeah, I, I have increasingly over the last five or six years really shifted the way I think about coaching in general to the assumption that everything is a skill first. And uh, actually there was a post from um, uh, Alec Blennis, who's a dude I follow uh, at the moment, who's just a fucking crazy strong hybrid athlete dude from the oh, States. And Alec. Alec Blennis, B-L-E-N-I-S, is uh, like in the Angus Bradley end of I'm just a general physical preparation badass, but he's like 8 million times more jacked and stronger than Angus. So, um, he's doing yeah. like this stiff leg zercher all the way to the floor. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking crazy. <laughs> he's currently running a comp that he calls the Knee Crusher Classic, which is a 1RM barbell reverse lunge competition. Uh, I did see this guy the other day doing these – 140 kilo walking zercher lunges. Yeah, yeah, he's fucking great, but he's also like a ridiculous endurance athlete. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, he put up a post uh, doing like a wall supported single leg barbell deadlift, and it like with 140 for five or something. He's like, that's a PR or very close to a PR, <laughs> but I, I haven't trained it in like six months. And he had the context he gave to the post was this idea of measuring progress using things you're not training mm. is a good measure of actual progress. Yeah, because that's awesome. uh, the the thing is you can get better at anything just by doing it a lot. It's why things like the FMS and a bunch of other of those like objective movement screens are fucking bullshit. Yeah. Because the first time you do them, even the best athlete in the world scores like shit on them. Yeah. But then you get better at them just by doing them more regularly. But suddenly you're a fucking guru. Anyway, um, the point on that subject is, I think this idea that everything's a skill first and you got to learn the skill once you are reasonably uh proficient and reasonably consistent 
then you've got to just get strong and continue to build the skill. Like you say, at all times, the underpinning idea is you're building the skill, but it's not. I think sometimes people are probably looking at it as rebuilding the skill all the time. Mm, yeah. Not building the skill. I talk a lot about the idea of the average rep rather than uh, an individual rep. Because sure. uh, I always, let, and for, for a long time, have stolen your idea of under a max load, you're an average of every rep you've ever done. Yeah. Um, and so now I phrase it as like, we're, we're not trying to improve one individual rep. We're trying to improve your average rep so that the distance between your best ever rep and your worst ever rep is much, much smaller because mm -hmm. that sets you up to actually express the strength that you have on the platform, right? Because yeah. in the end, the strength of your legs is not very rarely, if ever, the limiting factor in your squat. And mm -hmm. we can test that by putting you in a leg press, which is just a squat in a seat. And every person I've ever met can leg press two or three times what they can squat. And that's because your legs aren't holding you back in the squat. You suck at squatting. And when you can see that there are skills in all of this and how you transfer that across, I think that helps give context to that idea of pulling back and pushing in when it comes to how tight are we focusing on the technical skill side. Yeah, man. I, I love that idea of the average rep because it's doing exactly what you were talking talking about before of that like unconscious competence kind of thing. It helps people to then focus on the set and getting the work done rather than focusing on the individual reps. It, yeah. it kind of comes back to this idea of specificity that people butcher dramatically. Mm. People think specificity is squat bench deadlift, which is ridiculous. Specificity in powerlifting is squat bench deadlift for one rep at one rep max. And so if you think that pausing every rep of a set of eight of bench is specific, you're totally wrong. But that doesn't make any sense. The last rep, which would be the relatively hardest rep, is the most specific. And so if you can push that further by not pausing every rep, by saving your energy, then you develop the qualities of what you need as a powerlifter, just strength. Yeah. How do you get strength? Do more weight for more reps. That's that's what it comes down to. And so yeah. if the whole point of this conversation is that if you get so bogged down in the minutiae of every single rep, you literally just hold yourself back. Yep. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, Focusing on technique is great, but it's, it's, it's part of a bigger picture. Yeah. The way I talk about it these days is the idea that once you've done a rep, you can't change it, and so you have to ignore it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because every person who I've had these discussions with is the sort of person that does a hard set of three, and they all look minorly different because you can tell mentally they are trying something different on every rep instead of just doing three reps and being like, yeah, the second one wasn't as good as the first two. What did I do differently? Okay, cool, I can assess that and then move on. It's you're practicing one rep at a time, right? You come back to that idea of specificity. You can have the specificity of the intent without the specificity of the exact environment, right? Yeah. You can treat a set of five like five singles where you just don't put the bar back in the rack mm. instead of a set of five, right? And that's where I'm not saying I disagree with the bench thing, but I most of my lifters I tell to pause everything primarily because the people that don't just end up fucking it up on comp day because they forgot about it, right? Yeah. And so it's less uh, I'm trading off, yeah, maybe a little bit of the optimal end of the strength pushing side in favor of, hey, get the fucking skill right <laughs> yeah. so you can actually do it on comp day. Yeah. And I think that's where you've got to give that frame of we're actually just doing one rep at any one moment in time 
and you can do that with a set of 10, you can do it with a set of fucking 20 if you wanted to, there are times where, yeah, if you're doing 10 reps, I probably don't need you to pause every rep. I'm probably going to give you something that isn't that or, you know, some variant where you don't have to think about it. But when it comes to the specific end of the powerlifting prep, it is actually also in the intent behind every rep you do as opposed to the load or the movement itself or things like that. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I, I always like to refer to a, a – I don't coach him at the moment, but I coached him for many years. His name's Dale Longford. He's, he's one of the best pound-for-pound lifters in the world and, and one of the top in, in the UK. He's got like a, a close to a 900-kilo total at under 90. Jesus. Uh, but when he does his deadlifts, he does the true reset. So he does a rep, he puts it down, he steps back, then he steps back in oh, and he does God. it again. That would and be the most do- infuriating <laughs> coaching feedback in the world. And I would do- be like, dude, if you send me another video like that, I'm firing you. I just, I find it so impressive because he'll do it with like 330 for a triple. And I'm watching it. I'm like, bro, you're making this 10 times harder than it needs to be. But that's just how he has to do it for him to be able to perform. Yeah, yeah, like absolutely. he prefers to do it that way. Uh, anyway, that's, yeah. I don't know. I just made me think of that and I wanted yeah, to bring no, it up. It's, and and I, again, like they're, they're tools I use, right? Like, hey, you struggle at the bottom of a deadlift because your second rep's always better than your first. Cool. I'm going to make you let go of the bar and stand yeah. up and reset it, right? Yeah. And that that's, again, that trade-off in the you know, the ratio of skill to strength that we're working on Yeah. Uh, in that sometimes, yeah, we got to prioritize skill. And I think you can also do that with exercise selection in that, I can pick an exercise that highlights that aspect of the movement, teach you a skill in that environment, transfer it back into the big lift. That, again, speaks to that idea of specificity. We're practicing this motion in a different plane or a different setup so that you can learn what it feels like there and transfer that. Um, But, yeah, the, the paralysis by analysis, I think, and it, it's, it feels like to me at least, and this is obviously me just making a huge assumption based on my own personal experience, that the people who end up in that end of the spectrum tend to be the people who are increasingly what I like affectionately to refer to as mega nerds who've invaded powerlifting over the last 10 years, <laughs> um, which I say very much as a term of endearment. Uh, it used to be when we got into powerlifting, it was all just bikies and shit athletes, right? Yeah, and it was literally just go hard or go home. No pain, no gain. But these days it's a little bit of bikies, probably more shit athletes, and then this increasing influx of mega nerds who (laughs) maybe weren't as athletic early on in their life and so lean more towards the data-heavy analysis end of the powerlifting spectrum. And I think those people are often the ones who are overanalyzing things and holding themselves back. And in contrast, they're often fucking meatheads who I just spend my whole life just holding onto the back of their shirt so that they can learn the skill and do those things, right? Yeah. It's it's just almost two different archetypes of people when it yeah. comes to the sport. And the, I mean, the truth for success, as is with most things, the gap theory, right, lies in the middle. So it's a blend of both. You got to think about things, but you also got to train fucking hard if you want to get as strong as possible. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's that's where. Um, the discussion around things like RPE become really useful as well. Like, mm. was that an eight RPE or did you say it was eight because it said in the program you were supposed to do an eight? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I've had a few conversations like that as well. It's like, man, I'm going to show you what like a true eight RPE set looks like. There's a great Mike Isretel, um video where he does, I think it's a leg press or a hack squat. 
And he's like, I'm going to do three sets. The first one, I'm just going to do nice and calm and I'm going to stop when it slows down a little bit. The yeah. second one, he gets a bit focused and pushes a bit harder. And the third one, he goes, goes like to a full, dark place. Yeah, full swearing at himself in Russian, like goes crazy. And you can see the difference. And like, I find that shit funny as because I know the difference in those feelings and oh, I've been sure. to all of those places and I know how to go there. And I love the swearing at myself in Russian and that I don't speak Russian, but we've all got our own version of that, right? And I love it. I just don't touch it very often these days because yeah. I don't need to. Yeah. And if you've only ever experienced the first two, A, that other end looks super intimidating. Mm. Like, you know, see someone like you or I getting really amped up for it. And it can be like, oh, this is this like nice, relaxed person I'm used to having this good coaching relationship with. And yeah. suddenly they look like they're going to murder me. Yeah. That can be really intimidating, but- if you don't know how to push like that because you haven't been exposed to it, learning what that feels like is also part of the process of of being a good powerlifter, I think, or being good at any sport, really. That's right. Here's here's your homework. If you're, if you're a, a lifter that's entered the space within the last three years, you have to go back and watch a whole bunch of Pete Rubish videos in front of the oh dryer. My God. You have to watch a bunch of old George Lehman videos in the living room, and you have to go through... Ben Pollack's entire Instagram feed. That's that's how you're going to learn to see what hard training looks like. Oh, man, there are some fucking classics in there. I, li- I literally made this joke to someone in the gym last night. I was, They were like, oh, you're training. I was like, no, I'm just loading this bar because I like looking at it. <laughs> and like, oh, we just like, we never see you train. I was like, well, yeah, I'm training in the afternoon because I didn't get out of bed this morning. But also like once maybe twice a year I have to like train when everyone's around just to remind people that they all are really soft and don't work very hard (laughs) Um, because I come from an era where like we didn't talk to each other at training training was like shut the fuck up and do the work talk a little bit of shit in between sets but like we all worked really fucking hard and did like levels of volume that the athletes I coach now who complain about volume have no context in. Yeah. Like doing Shaco 32 and doing a double squat bench day that's got like 18 sets over 85%. Okay. That shit was brutal. Exactly. Um, uh, it's my claim to fame. I've told people I do. I, I went through a Shaco block where I bolstered it up a little bit stupidly. And I did oh. eight, eight bench sessions a week, eight, eight bench days in seven days. Like two dub, two double session, just stupid, man. Yeah. So dumb. And, and now look at you, broken and crippled and old and shouting at clouds. Well, to be fair, it's my lower body, so maybe the bench worked. <laughs> All right. Let's call it there. Amazing. <laughs> Sounds like a good plan. Goodbye, friends. Goodbye. <laughs>